This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And good morning, everybody. Hopefully you're having a fantastic Louisiana Saturday morning. Here on 103.7 The Game. Your weekend's just getting kick-started off the right way. And I'm enjoying myself here inside the palatial First South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. Been a hot minute since I've been inside those First South Farm Credit Studios. And appreciate everybody for listening in to the show today. However you're doing so, be it through the free 1037 The Game mobile app, 1037thegame.com, or better yet, through that FM dial, that Tower of Power. Tower of Power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey, sky's the limit and space is the place. Oh yeah, brother. We're going to be talking so much college football, it'll make your head explode. I'm just excited because last week we talked a lot of Saints and NFL stuff. Why the heck not? But I think this week we've got a lot more meat on the bone when it comes right down to it. So hopefully you're enjoying yourself on the Saturday. Before we get started with the Saturday sports sermon and talk about what's causing all this, I want to say thanks. I want to say thank you to everybody who left a comment, liked, shared, all that stuff over on the social media gimmicks. About something I dropped a little Friday news dump. If you will, and in case you missed it, and in case you've been listening to the station and wondering, where the hell have I been? Because I think everybody knows, wants to know, where the famous CD has been as of late. And I'll just kind of go through and hit the bullet points here before I get into my sermon for the week. And I'm looking forward to it. So first off, I'm now the new production director for Delta Media. That became official late this week, so I was like, let me make sure to drop a Friday news dump, like any media or journal journalist, I would say, because I see it all the time, you know, we go look at how things work in this business, people always will drop the bombshell of personal news, hell, I saw like Brooks Cabina, now formerly of The Advocate, he's moving on to go cover the Houston Texans, he dropped that news on a Friday after SEC media days, how convenient, but I think obviously I wanted to make sure People knew what was going on. I'm sure there were some people that were probably either confused or overjoyed, depending on their perspective of me, that I wasn't on the air for much of this week. I was very much, you know, low-key, behind the scenes, transitioning into my new role. Let me say, there's a number of thank yous as well I'm going to bring up here first. First off, big thank you to RP3 for helping make this transition possible, and more importantly, making sure that this show continues to exist. I think that's that's one of the biggest things for me. It's like I love doing this show each and every Saturday morning, be it I have 50 people listening 
or just one. Because guess what? At the end of the day, I get to, I get to talk about sports for two hours and get paid for it. For a lot of guys, that's probably their dream job. So this is pretty kick-ass. But again, I appreciate Ray for helping me helping get this thing rolling and getting the transition towards me being more behind the scenes role during the week, but also making sure that 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's number one sports station, still has the guy that's been here for about seven years, staying on the air every Saturday from 9 to 11, right here on, on 103.7 The Game. And also, the Cajun Strong Style podcast is still going to exist in the ether. We're still going to be doing that. So trust me, you'll be hearing less of me, which may or may not be a good thing, but you'll still be hearing me plenty. You just got to find me. And hey, you can find us over on the Twitter, at 1037thegame, at Doming at Under the Dome CD. And hell, if you want to follow the Cajun Strong Style Twitter, go ahead and follow that as well, at Cajun Strong Pod. We're on Facebook as well. And just search Under the Dome with CD on your favorite podcast app. Subscribe to it. Leave a five-star review while you're at it. That way we can get more noticed and we can start taking over the world. That said, enough preamble, enough thank you. I thank everybody at Delta Media as well. Quick shout-out to them for helping get this thing going and being all for it. we got a lot of things to get to over the next two hours. And, of course, we got to kind of start with what's causing all this on a Louisiana Saturday morning. And we'll do that with your Saturday Sports Sermon. <laughs> The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. Oh, testify! It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. And of course, we start with the biggest conversation over the last 48 hours. It's been filled with the conversation about two teams in the world of college football, and it has massive ripple effects. Let's start with that. Consider this the preamble to the ramble. So Texas and Oklahoma are trying to bail from the Big 12 and single-handedly sink the conference into the ether. Yes, Texas A&M is trying to be the Petty Patrick in all this and trying to block the move, but I'm sorry, Ross Bjork and Bazoo. You aren't Dikembe Mutombo or Giannis Antetokounmpo. Shout out to the Bucks for winning the NBA championship, by the way. That'll probably be the only thing I get to in terms of basketball outside of Willie Green towards the end of the program. But you can't Stand in the way of progress, Aggie Nation. This is for the greater good of college football. I understand there are some wounds that are still fresh, and they'll probably never go away when it comes to your rivalry with the Texas Longhorns. Even a decade after you left the conference yourself to go join the SEC, which, again, was a smart move. You follow the money. That's the that's something you learn in, in just life in general. You follow the money. But as a college football fan, give me this rivalry. As a person that talks college football at least five months out of the year, give me this coming back. We talk about the Georgia rivalry being clean, old-fashioned hate. Tell me you haven't heard that phrase many a time with the Georgia-Georgia Tech rivalry. It's clean, old-fashioned hate. But in the conference, it just means more. I want to see these rivalries mean more. I want to see this pure, unadulterated hate in the SEC. We have these great rivalries like Alabama and Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and every year those things, those flames continue to get stoked. 
So why not go ahead and have the Texas, Texas A&M. That's one of my big takeaways is this. I want to see Texas, Texas A&M, that rivalry come back. Because that is, there is no love lost between these two. In pro wrestling, we call it a blood feud. This is absolutely one of those. Meanwhile, I talked about this a year ago. And I've talked about it since. And this is kind of executing something that I've wanted them to do in terms of the Big 12 over the last year and to a certain extent over the last couple of years. We talked about it all the way back, I think, in 2016, back in the original producers when it was me, Cody Shoots, and Whitney Utter. Shout out to those two guys, by the way. And I said, and we said, the super conferences were going to be an inevitability with the world of expansion and seeing all these things go down. But I think it's time for the Big 12 to broker a massive deal amongst the SEC, the Big 10, and the ACC. And we need to see those four conferences realign and expand their rosters and figure out a way to make the numbers work. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I think this is the way I'd execute it, is that the Big 12 would give up what basically, for the most part, in terms of your Texas and Oklahoma programs, they're going to go ahead and do the fusion dance with the SEC. Meanwhile, the ACC may very well split off and you give up, you know, I'd say Georgia Tech, Miami, Florida State, Miami, give up those programs to form a true, like, Southeastern Conference versus, oh, hey, we're going to go ahead and just have, you know, from Texas all the way to Georgia or Tennessee. So I think that's the ideal scenario here when it comes right down to it is setting up shop and getting things ready to go and being able to have that. Obviously, when it comes to the Kansas State and the Missouris of the world and Kansas, those, I think, go to the Big Ten. I think that would be the best-case scenario. The ACC, excuse me, the SEC would get those Texas and Oklahoma teams and become just largely Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, and become almost like the Southwestern Conference back in the day. When I, I'd love to see that set up because that would probably be, in a, again, in a perfect world. And the ACC would probably get West Virginia into the fold. Because that's kind of your one holdout. That's your one odd man out when it comes to the future of college football, which I think needs to be a lot more regionalized. That's where I stand in all this, is being a lot more regionalized. That's the way the future is going to hold. But, of course, I think that's a little bit more five, ten years down the road type conversation. Now comes the hypothetical of what the big of what the Big Twelve should do in the not too distant future if Texas and Oklahoma do indeed do the equivalent of John Moxley and jump and ship to the SEC like John Moxley did to AEW. I threw the question out there on Twitter and social media a few days ago. And I think that the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, this is not Homer Radio, have a chance to act like they're playing checkers and pull a double jump when it's all said and done. This is the perfect time. If we're going to be talking about, you know, jumping ship and moving forward, and yes, I think the Sun Belt is in a lot better place. I've talked about this before. The Sun Belt Conference is in a lot better of a place than it has been over the last like couple, few years since programs like North Texas, FIU, Western Kentucky, FAU, 
all rolled out and went to the Conference USA and really kind of faded into irrelevance for the most part. I think obviously Lane Kiffin there for a cup of coffee made the conference meeting be a little more interesting, but that was for a cup of coffee. And Western Kentucky has been a pretty decent team, but you know, outside of that, nobody's really caring about the conference as a whole. And you have that happen. And again, it may sound like home radio, but I think they're set up for success in the long-term future. Because they've been preparing for a lot of this stuff over the last decade. And while we give Scott Farmer all the hell in the world, he's the one that kind of got the ball rolling in all this. But I think guys like Dr. Brian Maggard and Nico Yanko and Patrick Crawford and Billy Napier and Matt Deggs and Jerry Glasgow, those are the guys that are helping to push that ball forward. They're the ones that are going to help push that ball to the goal line and hit towards your biggest goal. I brought up Scott Farmer earlier, and with some of media days come and going the other day, which still was weird to see it on a Thursday, the same day as the final day of SEC media days, I think we can go back and hear that phrase. I think we can achieve all of our goals in the Sun Belt and kind of laugh at that. You've got everything going for you. You've got a stadium sponsorship that's going to lead to a massive renovation of a stadium that's probably been passed due for it. And yes, this was something that was kind of planned ahead of time, but the endorsement deal with Our Lady of Lords absolutely changes things. The renovations you've done to the T, which makes it look like a absolute you know chapel for college baseball. The second they host the regional there, it's going to be so much different. It's going to be so much better in my mind. You've got one of the top tier coaches, not just in, you know, group of five, but also in all of college football. He's the one that if he has another big year, if we see them get to that 10 and 2, 11 and 1 mark in 2021, I guarantee you people will be knocking the doors down to hire him because it's the consistent model of success, the consistent model of them growing and stacking them up, stacking up Dubsky Roonies. That's what they've done over the last few years with Billy Napier at the helm. Then you've got one of the best ADs amongst the group of five conferences. Prove me wrong. And I like the last time expansion was talked about amongst conferences. Now's the time you're ready for that jump. You know, you go, uh, you think about it. Let's say you've been at a job for a while and you're wanting to get that big promotion. But it's like they're like, we're not ready for you're not ready for that opportunity yet. Now you've built up a resume, you've built up your facilities, you've improved your facilities tenfold over the last seven years. Since I've been, started working for the station, you've improved by a massive amount. I think it's time for that conversation to start again about the Cajuns jumping up to anything from the AAC to the Big 12. Of course, I think the Big 12 in a in the real world and not in my fantasy world where I'm a big mark, and I'll admit that, I think the world of college football is going to be, you're going to see the Big 12 just dissolve unto itself, and you'll see the programs I was talking about, with like West, the West Virginias of the world. The Kansas and Kansas States, the Oklahoma States, the TCUs, the Baylors go their own way. 
and they all go wherever they need to go. And I'm almost certain we'll see what I was talking about, like the Kansas and Kansas states of the world going over to the Big Ten because it fits their geographic landmarks. You see programs like te- TCU and Tex- uh, excuse me, Baylor, Texas Tech, they all go to the SEC and kind of change some things up. Because, again, we talk about name, image, and likeness. We talk about how the future of college football is. I guarantee you, you will be seeing massive changes. And this is that first step. Oklahoma and Texas, it's going to be weird to say this, but they're Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. They're the ones taking that step for college football, but it's one giant leap for the future of college sports. All right, it's Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game. Appreciate everybody for listening in. And we'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're bringing Steve Lassen aboard at 1030 That'd be at the bottom of the hour. We gotta talk about we gotta continue to talk about it. But if you want to talk about it, 337-706-0111. Also gonna get into the New Orleans Saints next because it's been a pa bon post excuse me, pa bon po, pa bon offseason. There we go. Got it right the thir- third time. But the New Orleans Saints, bad news keeps popping up for this franchise. We'll talk about that and more next, right here on 1037 the game. At 1037thegame.com, you're listening to Under the Dome with CD. Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game. 1037thegame.com. Going to bring on Steve Lass in about 10 minutes. But in the meantime, if you want to call up, 337-706-0111 is the number that you need to dial, 337-706-0111. But we need to get some bad news. Some bad news in the New Orleans Saints. Continue to have that pile up. It's been an absolute mess of an offseason. And I can remember when I was growing up, I remember hearing some of my older family members who were Saints fans saying that the New Orleans Saints were never going to win a Super Bowl because when they put they were setting up the land where the Superdome was built, they put some bad voodoo on it. And, you know, it's a bad Gregory, if you will. And now I'm convinced that's actually what's happening since the Mercedes-Benz branding was removed, and it's going to be inevitably the Caesars Superdome, that that bad Grigri is indeed back in town. That's kind of where I feel, and it's like you think about it. This offseason has been a mess since Drew Brees retired. Was Drew Brees the guardian angel to keep the bad voodoo, the, 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 the bad vibes, the bad juju out the way? I don't know, but it's starting to look like it. Because first you have the offseason controversy of Marshawn Lattimore's arrest, and then you're waiting to see what the hell is going to happen with him with the suspension is he going to be suspended four games? Could he be suspended two? What's going to happen there? Because you've got, obviously, week one, the Green Bay Packers, and we'll talk about them at the end of the hour, but you have that controversy. And then you have the NFL draft that felt a few, 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 excuse me, a few fries short of a Happy Meal. There we go. You can see Peyton Turner and Ian Book as prime examples there. Then you have an offseason where you really didn't do anything in free agency but that's because of the fact that you're kind of hamstrung with all the off-season deals you had to kind of make and restructuring everything. And because of the whole Drew Brees situation, you kind of got hosed. I think, obviously, 2022 
with the salary cap going up, that can only benefit you if you're the Saints. But then in the last two weeks, like pretty much I'd say almost consecutive Fridays, I believe the news came out on Thursday about Onyemata making the statement about testing positive for whatever it was. I, I'm i not going to say whether or not it was marijuana or if it was some PEDs because I don't know the facts. I don't know all of the facts on this story. But you have him suspended for six games until after the Monday Night Football game against the Seattle Seahawks. Now you got, yesterday, it came out, Michael Thomas had surgery on his ankle back in June. Don't know why he waited till June. That's none of my business. But he's out potentially for the first four weeks of the season, which is probably one of the most pivotal points for the Saints in recent history. I'll explain why right now. I mean, you look at the Saints' history through those first four games, and I actually pulled it up a few years ago, and I'm going to go ahead and try and find first four games of the Saints. And it's a, it's extremely important. I wrote a column about it back in 2016. Hopefully it's still up on the archives on 1037thegame.com. But going back into Sean Payton era, if you go below 500, you're pretty much guaranteed to go 7-9, no matter what. Saints went 0-4 after making it to the NFC title game in 2006. They In 2007, they were 0-4, ended the season 7-9. 2008, you were 2-2, you wound up being 8-8. There will be no 8-8s anymore because of a 17-game schedule. Then you have the Super Bowl year and the two playoff years after that, you went 4-0 and 3-1. Then you have the 0-4 campaign, Bounty Gay, the medicine season. That was 7-9. Then you went undefeated in 2013, made the playoffs. Next three years, you were 7-9 because you went 1-3. I'm telling you, based off of trends, that's that's one of the most important things when it comes to sports is trends. And if you fall below 500, get ready for 7-10 or 8-9. I don't know exactly which one it's going to be. But it feels likely we could see seven and ten or eight and nine if the Saints fall below five hundred, and you lose all these guys. It's not a great look. Potentially, you're losing three guys that are, if not Pro Bowl talent, pretty damn close. I think David Onyemata might be the one outlier here that may not be Pro Bowl talent, but he's very close to that point. Obviously, being suspended six games largely takes you out of contention for being a Pro Bowler. Unless he winds up just popping off once he comes back and then very well could have another drug test coming your way down the road. But it's crazy to think how much things have changed over the last two weeks alone. Where it's like the expectations, I think, for this team are being dampered a good bit. And I'd love for somebody to prove me wrong. And we'll go out to the hotline right now. Let's see who we got. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Hey, CD, it's Ralph. Hey, Ralph, what's good, man? I'm not going to prove you wrong, buddy. In fact, I'm, uh, oh, man, I'm almost resigning myself. I, I, I hate to do that already because I've gotten so small to these, um, you know, NFC chain, at least winning the division you know, yeah. the last few years. But, uh, man, uh, it, it's going to take a lot of a lot of creative play calling by Sean Payton. Alvin Kamara definitely staying healthy and, and one of the two quarterbacks 
doing better than I think they're going to do for us to, to do anything. I'm, I'm, I'm extremely worried at this, at this point. And I think that's a lot of people right now, Ralph, because it's just, you, you're very concerned about what happens. I think it's, I think I'm even more concerned. I was going to get to this in a second, but I'm very concerned. Even I'm more concerned if we see the Saints go with Taysom Hill at quarterback rather than Jameis Winston, because then that kind of hamstrings your def, your offense even more. Because I'm almost certain. I, I hate to say it, with all due respect to Sean Payton, but if we see Taysom Hill out there. I feel like we could be seeing something that North Vermillion could be breaking out with the wing T offense. Oh no, no, no doubt about it. I, I think you know he just he and he's showing that, and 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 I, I get it. You know he 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 only has uh, probably one or two games full of snaps. Uh, uh, you know in him, uh, but but he just hasn't shown any patience when the play breaks down to to go to a second third option. He just. You know, he'll take – and then the, the, the last few games of the season, his ball security was horrible. And, you know, whether that becomes a, a, a trend because we really haven't seen him, you know, running as quarterback that, that often, you know. So I think he's much more valuable in that uh, Swiss Army knife role where he can play the different positions, move him around, put, you know, Jameis under center. And then, you know – I'm. I don't know, man. I, I. I just think you have to go look at a Larry Fitzgerald. You know, a, a veteran that's still out there that probably would come on the cheap. You know, and and then what happens? We still haven't heard yet. I. I, I fully expect Lattimore to to have at least a, a two game suspension. You know, and and then we don't really have a you know a starting cornerback opposite him right now. So, uh, you know, defensive line worries me a, a little bit. But you know what? The, the NFL right now is predicated. We don't get that much pressure of the middle anyway, and, and you got to have the edge rushers, and you've got to have some lockdown cornerbacks, and, and I think that's. But but right now, I'm as nervous as a you know a porcupine in a balloon factory. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you, man. But hey, look, TD, it might be a topic for another day. But I just wanted to when you you know when you can kind of address it too. I saw this week and. It never entered my mind with the NIL. You know, I was like, well, you know, the, the, these famous – I kind of felt like sorry for Joe – but not sorry for Joe Burrow, but he's doing just fine, thank you, but how much he could have made off of, you know, his his name and image and likeness and whatnot. But when I saw this Mikey Wilson, this, this sophomore going to be a junior, you know, point guard that has like 5 million – follows on Instagram yeah and and now he signed an NIL you know agreement out of high in, in high school yeah. out of high school and he's going to play with a with a team that doesn't fall under the sanctions of the state governing board so you know I, I'm just trying to think down the road in the next 10 years what will even high school sports look like you know uh, uh with the elite athletes and and um and man I I don't like I don't like where it's going, you know, to be honest with you. But I hope you have a good weekend, brother. And, hey, congratulations on the promotion, man. Uh, pre- well deserved. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate the hell out of that, Ralph. And appreciate you calling in. And, I, like, with the guy that – like, I saw that the other day, and it's like, I can understand that. Like, let's say, you know, going back about almost – and, by the way, this is making me feel old as all hell, and it's probably making LeBron James feel old as hell. But – Go back almost 20 years ago when LeBron James was in high school and you saw him get so much run on the four-letter network and you saw him get all this run. And this is back before you know social media and the internet was such a big thing. 
you know, LeBron James was literally one of the most like once in a lifetime type athletes coming out of high school. And he's lived up to the hype. Yes. Obviously, I've got my thoughts about him. But at the end of the day, somebody like that would have been making just gobs of money. Like, I'm not saying, you know, what we see with guys like Master P's son at the university he's at, the name escaped me right now. I think it's like Tennessee State. So you have him getting paid like a million dollars, and he's getting paid that million dollars from like one particular company. I guarantee you, he would have been getting like national endorsements because people were talking about him that much. That said, there's only like a handful of guys that can really be at that level that people can know they're going to be able to be at that level. Let's say, like, let's say hypothetically, Zayla Avant Garde in Louisiana. Obviously, she's well known as being like a world record holder in terms of dribbling basketballs and stuff like that. She's obviously won the spelling bee recently. That's why she's front of mind. And she also got an offer, excuse me, a scholarship offer from UL. That was really cool. So, in the case of her, I'm almost certain if she was able to be able to continue to perform at an elite level playing high school basketball whenever she does go to high school, that people will take notice and be like, hey, let's go ahead and I think the NIL, if you see it in high school, that's going to be a mess. But I think it's one of those anomaly of anomalies, the LeBron Jameses of the world, the Leonard Fournettes of the world, these five-star once-in-a-lifetime players. Those are going to, it's going to be a very much an elite of the elite of the elite. And for the most part, probably most of those guys in that in this situation would probably all be going to a program like IMG Academy instead of, let's say, insert high school here. That's kind of where I'm at on that front. But I appreciate the call, Ralph. If you want to get in on the conversation, call in towards the end of hour number one. In the meantime, we're due for a break. When we come back, we're going to get Steve Lassen aboard. We're going to talk about the SEC Big 12 and the potential brewing of a just full-blown temper tantrum from Texas A&M next right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station. 103.7 The Game, 103.7thegame.com. Appreciate everybody for listening into the program. And now we're going to get into even more about the world of college football. We talked about it earlier, the Big 12, and potentially it eroding away into obsolescence. And let me just say this. Our next guest, he's aboard the 103.7 The Game hotline right now. And I've been thumbing through their magazine, Athlon Sports, every year it's one of the many things that I do go grab during the summertime. It is absolutely must-read material. Because if you're a college football fan, go check it out. And we got Steve Lassen aboard, Athlon Sports, also one of the co-hosts for the Cover 2 podcast, which you can check out, and I'd highly recommend that as well. Our guy, Steve Lassen. Steve, how's it going, brother? Hey, Clint. It's always great to talk to you and appreciate the kind words about the magazine and the podcast. Uh, it's always good to talk to you, but it's even better to talk to you after what has been a crazy uh, news-filled week of college football. What off-season these days, right? 
Like, ironically, I was already kind of thinking about it because obviously we got SEC media days, Sunbelt media days, and obviously that kind of brings up a lot of conversations and we're getting that much closer to start of football season. So I was like, I was already planning on having you on. And then the Texas A&M and Texas stuff starts coming up. I'm like, all right, well, my hand's turned. Let's go ahead and do this. Let's go ahead and get Steve Lassen aboard the show. We need to get him on to talk about it. Obviously, let's let's go just strictly with the Oklahoma and Texas. Like that thing came completely out of left field. Brent Zwerneman was the first one to kind of break the news. How crazy was that to see that news? Like the live reaction from you? Oh, uh, it was crazy. I mean, you're absolutely right. It, it came out of nowhere. I mean, especially at SEC Media Days after an off-season where we have seen several big news stories break, whether that's the transfer portal, name, image, and likeness, the expanded playoff, uh, never in a million years did I think we would see another blockbuster story in expansion and realignment hit, especially at SEC Media Days. You, know, you kind of think once that stage is set, it's usually about the coaches and players. So it, it is a massive kind of one of the biggest stories in college sports uh, to probably hit over the next, you know, you could say from the last 10, 15 years, it's going to be one of the stories that kind of reverberates for the next 10 to 15. I mean, it it is just a massive story. I think that the biggest thing is that, like, as soon as it hit, it was shocking to me. Like, I thought at first, like, yeah, sure, okay, Texas and Oklahoma, you know, inquired about SEC membership, wasn't sure it's actually going to go anywhere, but I think in real time you started to see that there was more uh, smoke to this because Greg Sankey put out kind of a no comment, Oklahoma and Texas put out statements that were very similar and also kind of no commented. So I think as the day went on, it went from shock to, oh, this is pretty serious. Like, this might actually happen. And, you know, I think it's something that I've talked about a lot is I think, and this is just me, like, in my own little world putting together an alternate universe in terms of the way things could go with the SEC and the future of college football, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm surprised that we're not seeing programs like an Oklahoma State or even a TCU or a Texas Tech trying to follow suit and jump ship over as well because it would fit so much better in terms of the geographical sense of how the SEC is set up versus the Big 12 because I think we're going to start seeing over the next 10 years, and I think the NIL has definitely aided this, seeing these super conferences be built more around regionalization and making it more almost like, to a certain extent, I'm going wrestling here, maybe this maybe a little off field, but going with more of the territory style where it's, oh, hey, you know, the, S, the, the South and the East and the West are all going to be handled through different people, and it just makes stuff a lot easier to digest if you're a fan of college football. Yeah, no question about it. I, I think something that Greg Sankey, uh, the commissioner of the SEC, talked about before SEC Media Days and even during SEC Media Days is more autonomy and decision-making power for the Power Five conferences um, or, or just you know programs that want to have more autonomy. And I think what we're headed for is some kind of big restructuring within the NCAA. I, I don't think that the SEC is necessarily going to break away from the NCAA, but I would I think that the SEC is going to be pushing for more autonomy, more power, more decision making. You know, there was a quote in uh, Sports Illustrated story, you know, from a SEC, I think it was athletic director, basically saying, you know, we don't want a small school telling us how to run our uh, football conference in the SEC. So, you know, I think you can see where this is going. The accumulation of power, 
trying to get as much revenue uh, and TV power as you can, and also within that structure, more autonomy. So you know, when you think about the, the, the SEC and how this could tr- play out, uh, Oklahoma and Texas have always kind of held together the Big 12. I've always thought that as long as Oklahoma and Texas want to be in a conference together, the Big 12 would exist. Uh, but I think what you're seeing is is now they look at this and say we're the most valuable properties of this conference. They're pitching, you know, essentially themselves to the SEC. They could try the Big Ten and ACC. And I think if you're the SEC and you look at this and go, if we don't do this, another conference is going to do it. And I think at this point, the SEC is trying to accumulate that power and become even more uh, powerful on the college athletic stage, and this move certainly does that. And I think we're going to see a domino effect uh, as we go forward with other conferences too. And you bring up the Big 12 talk right now with Steve Lass and Athlon Sports. You bring up the future of that conference, Steve. And obviously you'll be going back to pretty much what it was originally, the Big 8. It's, instead of, it's, it's never really been the Big 12 since you saw A&M and Mizzou jump ship. But my question to you is, does this conference largely just fade away and we see these teams like a Texas Tech and a TCU and Baylor go the way of quote-unquote free agency? Or could we see other programs from the G5 maybe make that jump up? Because I think, obviously, there's been a lot of conversation about that. I think Houston, SMU, and the Cajuns are three teams that everybody, or at least just me, have been talking about. Yeah, for sure. I think the Big 12 should be proactive about expansion. And I think there's kind of a a nerdy like policy thing here because the Big 12 is considered an autonomy conference right now in the NCAA structure. So they have a little bit more power than the American or another group of five league. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if the American tries to push to add some of these teams and say, "Hey, come on over." You know, things are you know fairly stable here. I think what's more likely though is the Big 12 should go on offense. But on one hand, you know, if you're the Big 12, you almost have to lock down your eight members right now because in one sense, you know, if you're Oklahoma State, if you're Texas Tech, um, if you're Kansas, you're probably shopping around to try and find a better deal. Um, If you're West Virginia, you're certainly calling the ACC to see uh, if there's any interest. So I think the first thing the Big 12 has to do is they have to lock down the eight members that they have. They have to make sure they are going to stay in the conference. And then I think the second thing is I think the Big 12 just should just go and just add as many appealing teams as they can. This is Boise State, I would call BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, and just try to go to 12 or 14 teams and just try to build the best conference that you can. Because looking down the road, the revenue that this conference brings in from television is going to significantly decrease unless they do something. And I think they need to try and be as appealing as they can. And that's where adding all those good group of five teams uh, is the best thing. Of course, they have to lock down those eight members first. That has to be the priority in order to make it very appealing going forward. Now, I'm going to ask you this because I'm not necessarily sure, like, what the whole regulation is and all this stuff. But we, we bring up Texas. Obviously, they got the Longhorn Network. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but doesn't the Big 12 get a cut of the revenue from that deal? It's a great question. It is my understanding that basically that is that revenue all goes to Texas. The Big 12 is kind of a weird setup. So 
there's three tiers of media rights within the Big 12. First and second um, are kind of divided up among teams. Third tier rights go to the school, which is the Longhorn Network. Oklahoma has a distribution deal with Fox Sports and, and someone else. So I think th- that's the kind of revenue that each school individually can bring in. And I think going forward, assuming the SEC thing works out, the Longhorn Network would just go away. Yeah, that's kind of what I expected it to just go away because I mean I felt inevitable because you know the the SEC network I mean it just means so much more so you need to kind of get rid of that and and jump on their bandwagon which mind you probably makes the four letter network four letter network so much more appealing especially because they set up their massive deal a while back. Absolutely, you know the, the funny thing I, I guess if if you need any indication that the SEC is just a powerhouse. Consider that the CBS deal on Saturdays is worth about $55 million a year. The new deal with ESPN is worth about $300 million a year. That's just for one game on Saturdays on CBS that's moving over. And, you know, of course, they have a couple double headers. That's just the amount of power and massive uh, money that the SEC can pull in. That was with just 14 teams. Now you add in Texas and you add in Oklahoma, those deals are only uh, going to increase. So if you are Texas and you're, and you're looking at joining the SEC, there's no reason to keep the Longhorn Network around because you're going to be on the SEC Network and you're going to be getting all this massive amount of money uh, from the ESPN deal. And I think there's there's kind of an underlying war between ESPN and Fox, too, because Oklahoma and Texas have been on Fox with – Big Noon Saturday, and ESPN trying to gobble up all the SEC. So there's some interesting battles uh, in there, but I think if you're Texas, I mean, joining the SEC and getting that revenue, uh, that's a significant increase over just owning the, the Longhorn Network. Steve, thank you so much for coming on, my man. Wish I had more time, but it's like, you know, obviously getting calls like crazy all morning. Hopefully you're enjoying yourself. I'll talk to you down the road because we need to get to, into more about just the world of college football, period. And hopefully next time we get to have maybe a little bit more light shed on the situation because I know Monday A&M supposed to throw a temper tantrum and say, hey, we, we don't want the Texas to be part of this conference. It's like, come on now. You, you can't be standing in the way of progress. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're Texas A&M, I mean, I certainly understand that they're upset. But on the other hand, uh, when when the SEC slides that check across the table and they see the massive amount of revenue and they see the massive amount of revenue a game against Texas is going to bring in, uh, I think they'll get on board fairly quick. So they can throw their temper tantrum. But at the end of the day, uh, Greg Sankey, I'm sure, is going to bring everybody to the table and this is going to pass uh, pretty unanimously. Steve, once again, appreciate you, my man. Talk to you down the road. Hey, Clint, anytime. Thanks for having me on. All right, that was Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports. We'll take a quick timeout, wrap up our number one in style, talk about the situation with A.A. Ron Rogers. We'll talk about that next right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United, I suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome. Just a quick segment before we get out of here in hour number one. I'll probably reset a little bit of this in hour number two, but if you want to get in on the conversation, 337 is the place to be hour two. Probably talk a lot more about 
LSU's 2021 schedule. I'll give you a prediction for that the way the season goes. If you want to get yours, again, call the number to start off hour number two. But apparently Aaron Rodgers, according to some reports, as well as sports books, because this is interesting, that DraftKings and sports bet, points bet, excuse me, have pulled the NFC North odds, Packers win totals, and more, but the first sports book to remove them was out in the desert, the Westgate Superbook. And they're responsible largely for that, according to Darren Rovell. Odds makers inside the Superbook say that they were told information that Aaron Rodgers could very well be retiring in the next week. That's nuts. Now, mind you, FanDuel, BetMGM, and William Hill are going to still stand with that. But you can about imagine that if Aaron Rodgers retires week one, and we talk about how, like, oh, wait, the Saints, you know, they, they've they just been cursed all season long. If the situation continues to be what it is between the Saints and the, excuse me, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron does indeed retire, I think Saints fans will be counting their blessings rather than saying, oh, wait, you know, this is cursed. we got a complete mess on our hands. No, we got actually a really good thing on our hands before too long. But that's about all we got for hour number one, hour two of two. Coming up next, Carol Ritchie going to be joining the program at 1030. We'll talk about the Sunbelt Conference, the football season ahead, and so much more. There's a lot of things to get to. Obviously, I'll maybe get her thoughts as well on the likelihood of the Cajuns maybe jumping over to the Big 12 or the AAC because obviously I think the Big 12's in emergency scramble mode for expansion. We'll talk about that. And more next right here on 1037 The Game at 1037 thegamecom You listen to Under the Dome with CD. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's time! It's time! It's time! And time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. And good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD, our number two of two officially underway. And hopefully you're having a great Saturday morning. I appreciate you listening in, however you're doing. So be it through the old school FM dial. He has the tower of power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal. The man... And of course, you know, the free mobile app, Amazon smart speakers, as you just heard. Thankfully, my phone's charging in the other room, so didn't hear the liner, so didn't go super crazy. So yeah, looking forward to hour two of two with you. Going to have Kara Ritchie on in about, let's say, 25 minutes or so. Going to get into the conversation about the Sunbelt Conference, the Cajuns. Maybe get a little scouting report on the Red Wolves as well, because she's she's the Sunbelt, like, expert that i like to have on on a regular basis appreciate it as always but of course we're also coming to you live as always from the palatial first south farm credit studios hear this 
worldwide. And it's definitely going to be one hell of an hour. And we're going to get into it right now about the LSU Tigers. Last week I did a breakdown of the Saints schedule. And I gave you my overall expectations for that program, for that franchise. And I'll do the same thing for LSU football. And this is coming from just my POV more than anything and seeing what the 2021 season indeed holds for them. And this isn't going to be like what I've seen, what I've talked about with the Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill situation. Because I think either way, the, the Tigers schedule, it plays out how it plays out. And this is, of course, if the... If the you know, Tigers do indeed play all 12 games, because in case you didn't hear earlier this week, Greg Sankey essentially said that if any team can't play because of COVID, get wrecked, you're forfeiting that game. And the team with less COVID cases, I, I, I presume that's what it's going to mean. If it's a forfeit, that means, let's say, hypothetically, the week of the LSU-Alabama game, Alabama comes down with a, a rash of COVID. Does that mean that LSU wins and it's kind of like put as an asterisk? Hey, you know, this is listed as a forfeit. I don't know. Because obviously that could play a big role. It could be a huge role in how, you know, the college football committee looks at things. Because that could be considered an out. Let's say if Alabama has just one loss, but it's a forfeit because of COVID, it brings up a lot of different conversations. At least that's the way... I see things. But meanwhile, just looking strictly at the 2021 schedule for the Tigers, I'll give you my, my thoughts on it. You can give yours as well, 337-706-0111. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. 8-4, and four, your regular season record, that is the floor for Ed Ogeron. If Ed Ogeron falls below that floor and hits 7-4 and four or 6-6, six and 7-5, six, and five, excuse me, or 6-6, six and six, and it's not due to outbreaks, Ed Ogeron's gone after this season. He becomes the next Gene Chizik. Remember a decade ago when Gene Chizik had Cam Newton and he and Cam Newton led them to a national championship? A couple years later, Gene Chizik falls apart. Then they hire Gus Malzahn out of Arkansas State. And look what happened. So, yeah, that's basically what I'm telling you right now. This is a do-or-die season for Ed Ogeron. And it's just the facts that everything going on this past offseason with the Title IX investigations, all that stuff, and the dark clouds surrounding all that, you got to deal with that on top of everything else. So I'm almost certain that LSU is in, do or, is in survival mode in 2021. So now let's look at the schedule. You open up the season against UCLA, then you play McNeese State, and then Central Michigan. You play the Chippewas. Two out of three at home, then you play one at the Rose Bowl. And of course, you can enter in right now for the Tiger Road Trip at 1037thegame.com. And I'll go through the first three games, and I've got a call on the line. I'll get to you in a moment. But LSU-UCLA, that is a... I, I'm going to say it's a coin flip game because I've seen LSU lose on the road, especially in a very different territory. Go back to whenever LSU played in Green Bay, Wisconsin, playing against the Badgers in Lambeau Field. The tail end of the Les Miles era. I know that might trigger some PTSD, but I think I'll give LSU the win, but it's going to be probably a lot closer than some might think. 
McNeese State, LSU. LSU wins that one handily. Central Michigan, they'll whip up on them heading into SEC play when they'll take on Mississippi State. But we'll talk about the rest of the schedule. So I have them going 3-0 to start the season. Not too bad. But we'll talk about that in just a little bit. We'll talk about the rest of the SEC schedule shortly. But we'll go out to the phone lines. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Man, don't you know Alabama football does not get COVID? No, exactly. Like, right? They do not get COVID. Every every team, uh, I think every uh, Power 5 team uh, last year at some point, a player five or so got COVID, and Alabama never did, so they don't get COVID. Man, no. eight and four, I, I wouldn't say – I think Bo Pelini, getting rid of Bo Pelini, that's two more wins right there, first of all. No, it, uh, it should I be. Think I think they're going to have one of the best defenses, in, not just in the SEC, but in the nation, especially the defensive line. They probably have the best defensive backs in the country. Uh, I, 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 man, I, I just don't see them. Maybe two losses max. I'll put a sob bet with you for sure, man. If they have three losses, that's a disappointing season to me. Uh, with uh, with Pete's coming in, I just think they're going to be so much better. Uh, the defensive now is that the, the coordinators are talking about, the players are talking about the defensive coordinators, uh, how much better, uh, just aggressive, more aggressive they're going to be, how simple the game plan is going to be. Uh, I, I, just, I, I, I say 10-2, man. Some people are picking them a dark horse in the playoffs. Uh, some people are picking them to win the SEC West. Uh, I think they beat uh, Texas A&M, especially playing at home, man. But I'll hang up and listen to you through the show like always, man. Thank I, you. I appreciate that, Chad. But for me, and you know, I, the reason why I put eight and four as the floor for this team is because I think that's kind of where, like, that's the worst case scenario. Yes, it's a disappointing season if it's three or more losses. But let's say you lose that UCLA game, and then somewhere down the road. Because I guarantee you, there's some teams that are like going to be markedly improved and could be a bugaboo. I can see at least like two or three potential trap games. I think, and it's going to be more the end of October, early November. But that four-game stretch with Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, and Arkansas. Why do I bring up Arkansas? Because Arkansas has gotten better in the last year since they've changed head coaches. They got an upgrade. And I think year two, you're going to see that team improve a little bit more. And we know LSU in the past, it's changed, obviously, with Ed Ogeron. But after that Alabama game, there always seems to be a little bit of a hangover. I could be completely wrong here. But I would not be surprised in the slightest if that's another one of those losses that does indeed pop up. But again, you've got coin flip games, Florida, Ole Miss, because that, if if this offense is as prolific as we hear all the hype about with Jake Peets, I guarantee you, Peets and Mangus against the Lane Train, that is going to look like Pac-12 after dark type stuff, brother. Like, I'm with you. I think there's, there's room for, like, absolute excitement. Maybe not SEC West, but I think 10-2, and two, if you pull that off, that is a massive success, and it keeps Ed Ogeron around. I just I feel like there's just something going on with this team, and if we see this defense improve by leaps and bounds, the conversation shifts towards you know 2022 being the national championship year. But you need to get towards that 10 and two, like 11 and one type range, like I talk about with the Cajuns. I'll get to my Cajun stuff next week. 
along with the Saints quarterback tier list. We'll talk about them more next week. But when it comes to this, I think you say Mississippi State's probably going to be a win because you're going to be angry. And I think you're, because you want to try to like wash that bad taste out of your mouth from a year ago when Mississippi State put up like 50 billion points on you and K.J. Costello threw for over 9,000 yards. Obviously, that's hyperbole. But I can tell you right now, I think that's going to be... So I think LSU winds up starting out the season 4-0. It's what happens in that four-game stretch late October, early November that really determines a lot for me. But now let's get out to the phone lines. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Hey, Ken, what's up, brother? Uh, not much. I got I got LSU at 11-1. and That based on the depth, based on both sides of the football, the experience that they have, two starting quarterbacks, I mean, their defense is going to be tremendous uh, with all those guys. They, they got the best, in my opinion, secondary in America. Uh, I just don't see those none of those teams beating them except Alabama. And uh, and I think they got a great chance to beat uh, Alabama because they, they do pretty good in Tuscaloosa when they play them. So I got them at 11-1. 8-4, eight, eight I just don't see that no no kind of way. But that's just me. Uh, but that's what I got them at eleven yeah. and one, similar to uh, the 2019 team. Which uh, no, there's no Joe Burrow, but those guys are pretty good. Max Johnson and Miles Brennan is pretty doggone good, and I think Max Johnson should be the starting. But I don't know if he will. I think I know uh, Coach O is is, uh, is dedicated to Miles uh, Brennan, and I don't think you should lose your job as a starting quarterback because of injury. But that's just me. So thank you for taking my call. Oh, I appreciate that, man. And, you know, like when it comes to the quarterback competition, I'm probably going to get into that more in the next couple of weeks because I want to try and, like, really hone in on this because it's been like, it's been a weird year last season. And I think the fact that you got these guys coming back, you don't have any opt-outs, at least not yet. You don't have opt-outs. You've got everybody in-house ready to go. This is going to be a lot different season than last year, not just for – LSU, but across the country. Now everybody's working on a level playing field. In the case of a program like App State, they actually got their spring practice in before COVID hit. They got everything in. But th- even then, they didn't live up to the standards. It's weird. College football is going to be weird this year. I guarantee you that. I mean, we're in mid July. We're in late July right now. And we just had SEC media days. And the season starts in about like a, almost a month from now. When the Cajuns take on Texas and when LSU plays UCLA, that's September 4th. That's about, I'd say, round about almost two months. Uh, no, like a month and like a week. Let's go put it that way. It's a month and a week away. You only got five or six weeks left until football season, which is something I think we're all jonesing for. That said, I say in four is the floor. I That's what I'm saying. That's the floor. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. Because I'll get I'll give you my prediction in a minute. So I think LSU Auburn is going to be another one of those like fringe swing games. Because if Bo Nix performs like he did his freshman season, that's going to be a very fun ball game. And I have a feeling that Auburn could very well like pull off a sizable upset. But I'll go LSU winning the next two games against Auburn and, and Kentucky. Florida, Florida is a tough tough game. Yes, last year you won, but you won by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin. That's their first loss of the year against Florida. 
Very, very close game. I think something happens. Dan, because Dan Mullen has proved himself to be a quarterback whisperer. He managed to turn Kyle Trask from a guy who he didn't know into a guy that was a late second-round pick. And he's going to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and be the understudy for Tom freaking Brady. That speaks to what kind of talent he has in terms of being a quarterback whisperer. Yes, the Felipe Franks experiment didn't necessarily work out. Is what it is. LSU Mississippi pound the over on that contest first of all. Whatever it is, hammer down on that on that over under. But LSU does win in a heated contest. LSU Alabama. I'll go Alabama winning that one. So LSU is going to have two losses on my record book. And I mentioned Arkansas LSU as being a swing game, as being like one of those coin flips, at least from my POV. I'll go LSU winning that one, and then the wrap of the year playing Yul Monroe, they'll get a win there. And Texas A&M, if Texas A&M lives up to the hype, this is absolutely you. This is the last of the coin flip games for me. So you've got, I'd say, four landmines you've got to outright avoid. It's a lot like a game of Minesweeper. You've got to avoid Auburn, Florida, Mississippi, and A&M. Those are your four games. I think you can throw in a fifth with Arkansas, but I think Arkansas is just more, how does this team rebound? History has shown since Ed Ogeron has taken over, they haven't had that hangover game. But A&M is right there. And, again, this is going to be based off of hype. So I think you go 10-2, and two, but don't be surprised if 9-3 and three is in the offense. Because you've got at least three teams that you could very well lose to for one reason or another. Because A&M ain't like the A&M of a few years ago. I think Jimbo Fisher has gotten that team in a better position. I still I agree with what everybody was saying about LSU in the SEC West being third place. I agree with that statement. I think it's the fact that A&M is catching up in the arms race. Jimbo Fisher is working the system, and he's pumping the proverbial oil that is the Texas football landscape because that's a huge landscape, and there's always so much talent coming from that end. And Ogeron's got to kind of fight fire with fire and go ahead and get the best guys from his home state. We've seen a lot of guys over the last few years where they get people like, I know that this name is going to, get some booze, but Eric Gilbert, let's go ahead and put it that way. You know, you get Eric Gilbert out of Georgia. You've been getting guys like Elias Ricks, a sophomore out of freaking California. Where's those Louisiana guys that we saw? You go back to that 2019 recruiting class. Hasn't necessarily panned out all that well in the long run. Excuse me, not 2019 class. No, yeah, the 2019 class. My brain is, is fried, but, uh, but the 2019 class going back to that, you can tell me there's a lot of Louisiana guys on that in that class because it was absolutely stacked in terms of recruiting. That's what you need to do. Get the best from within your state and then kind of work from there because there's so much talent in the state of Louisiana that's worthy of playing for the purple and gold. And again, I'll say it, 10-2 and is my prediction right now. I think the floor is still 8-4 and because you've got at least two games that could be landmines that you don't avoid and you lose a leg. That's kind of where I'm at in this. If you want to give your thoughts on that, hit us up 337-706-0111. Kara Ritchie coming on in about 10, 12 minutes. We'll be back after this on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com.
numbers don't lie. Because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. And they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Hopefully you have a great Saturday morning. Maybe you kind of getting ready to enjoy a good old-fashioned weekend. And trust me, there's a lot of stuff to kind of look forward to, obviously. We have the Olympics underway. I'm excited. I, I, I'm not necessarily as excited as other years because it's so weird having this in 2021. But I'll admit it. I woke up this morning, talked about, you know, I wound up watching some of the women's soccer matchup with my USA taking on New Zealand. And they scored within like two minutes. I'm like, okay, well, this is going to be an ass-whooping. And I enjoyed watching that. But what also, like, I didn't know they were doing this this year, or maybe I just haven't noticed it in the past, but they're bringing three-on-three basketball into the Olympics. That is so freaking cool. Like, I love the fact they're doing this because think about it. It's not like a typical NBA game. Like, you're watching these things come to an end in, like, ten minutes. It's a fast and furious game of basketball, half-court, it almost feels like I was thinking about it when I saw this last night because I didn't realize it was the thing. Because I don't, I, I don't pay attention to all the Olympic sports. I know they have skateboarding and surfing. I think they're or rock climbing or whatever. They're bringing some weird sports in to try and attract other people. Now, mind you, the, the Winter Olympics did that twenty years ago when they brought snowboarding in, which was pretty freaking cool. As somebody, I'll admit it, I'm a huge and it's the, it's the fact I grew up in that era, like the Tony Hawks of the world. And the nine, I, if the Olympics had back in like '96 or so, or maybe like in the early 2000s, the Summer Games followed suit and were able to capitalize on getting skateboarding into an actual Olympic sport. I mean, they're talking about bringing cheerleading in, and with all due respect, I I think we we've gotten this debate before, and my guy Lewis tried to convince me, and I am definitely far from believing that is that <laughs> I'm still laughing at it. So he said a while back that he thought that just bring it is a sport or just bring it. No, that's SmackDown. I'm talking about bring it on. Said that was a sports movie. I don't know why I was saying just bring it anyways. So bring it on. He said that was a sports movie. I don't, it, it's a competition. Yes, but I think it's not as much a sports movie. Yes. You had sports in it, but it's very much, and me and David Grubb got into it as well a while back, it's sports-adjacent type stuff versus actual, honest-to-God sports. I just can't necessarily buy into that idea. That said, I enjoy what I'm seeing with the way the Olympics are set up this year. Should I don't think it necessarily should have happened in Tokyo because of the rise of COVID cases, but it needed to happen because, after all, you've got all that money invested. you spent all that time building those stadiums and making sure you have time to use up the Tokyo Dome and Budokan Hall, all that stuff. And that's a big reason why, you know, New Japan is just doing shows in other places. I think they're even doing one next month in L.A. at the L.A. Dojo. You can, talk, you can hear about that on the Cajun Strong Style podcast. 103.7 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Yours truly hosts the program. And we got so much to get to on that front because, boy, oh, boy, 
it's been an interesting like last let's say six days or so in the sport of professional wrestling. But let's get into the SEC. Because the SEC, the media, filled out their preseason poll. And I'm intrigued, for the most part, by how they put together their East and West Division votes. It is very much lopsided, like it always is. Georgia and Alabama are your strong favorites, coming out of the West and the East. I think everybody's going to put the SEC champion as Alabama, 84 votes to 45. LSU didn't get one vote for that. Really speaks to how highly everybody talks about Alabama. In fact, out of the 134 possible votes for the West Division, 130 first-place votes. You had four other teams, including LSU, get a first-place vote. Think about that. Think about that statement right there. Meanwhile, you had Georgia and then 10 other first-place votes between Florida, Kentucky, and South Carolina. Take a while, guess how you order that up. For me, I think the East is a little bit harder to predict. I'll go ahead and go with Florida taking the East division. Georgia's going to be second. Again, it's going to come down to the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. It's going to come down to that game. Kentucky is a very good team. I think they'll be fourth behind Tennessee. I think Tennessee makes a leap up. Josh Heupel is going to turn that program not completely around, but it's going to keep it relevant. Mizzou, I think they'll be where they have Tennessee slated at, and then it rounds out with South Carolina and Vanderbilt because I just don't know what to make of those teams as of yet, they're probably going to fall towards the bottom of it. Now we get to the West Division. I think, and I agree with something they did put here. I think Mississippi State will be dead last in the West. And it just, that's the way I feel like it's going to be. Because the Bulldogs have like every opportunity to do something amazing with Mike Leach. But it's an uphill climb. It's an uphill climb because you had such high expectations after week one. You beat the tar out of LSU, and then you did nothing after that. You did basically bleep all after that. So you have that. I think we'll work our way up here. I'll put Ole Miss second to last. Auburn will be right in the middle of the pack. LSU third. A&M second. Because I just feel like A&M, and again, maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid in terms of the hype for them. And yes, I'm going to give them as much shade as possible about the whole Texas thing. Texas-Oklahoma, they're trying to nix that deal. A&M, with Jimbo Fisher, has gotten better. And it's impressive to see. Again, Jimbo Fisher in his first year did something that Texas A&M could never do beforehand. And that's actually beat. LSU. That says something. And they looked better last year. Yes, it was a COVID year and it was very different. It was very unusual. But I think it's points to me to say, hey, there's no there's no excuse why they can't be towards the top of the list. I'm not saying the top, but towards the top. And then Alabama, I've got to win in the West. It's just inevitable at this point. And again, LSU has every chance to be in that second place spot which would be 
a massive improvement, take Ed Ogeron off the hot seat, and I think year three, national championship aspirations are on the table. That's at least the way I, I see it. And in terms of the SEC champion, I'll go with Alabama winning it as per the usual if they make it in there. But what I was blown away by is the fact that LSU did not get, outside of Derek Stingley Jr., a single player on the first team. Oh, excuse me. Cade York and Derek Stingley Jr. were the only first team players from the old from LSU. That was impressive to see. Like I was like, whoa. That really speaks to how deep the division is, how deep the conference is, everything. Matt Corral, I, this is what I was really more just like shocked at. Here's your first, second, and third team all SEC preseason selections. At quarterback, Matt Corral, JT Daniels, and Bo Nix. Think about that, that statement. JT Daniels, a guy who hadn't played a snap for Georgia yet. Matt Corral, who's basically lived as an Ole Miss quarterback. And Bo Nix, a guy heading into his junior season after a sophomore slump, is on the third team. And then you got, you know, the second team is where a lot of the LSU guys lie, especially in the offense, with Kayshawn Butte, Ed Ingram, and Austin Deculus. Kayshawn Butte is absolutely going to be a force if you have the right guy around. I think Max Johnson is going to be the starter. I'll get to more thoughts about that on next week's show because I got some other things I need to get to on the program. But we'll save that more for next week. This week and this next segment is to be reserved for the Sun Belt because they held their Sun Belt Media Days on Thursday which is really weird, and we'll talk about that next and so much more with our next guest, Carol Ritchie, 95.3 The Ticket. We'll talk about that and more next right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. considered world famous but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us just don't talk to him while he's eating lay off me I'm starving now back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game Acadiana Sports Station welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios and right now, we're going to get on over to the 103.7 The Game Hotline talk with our good friend, Kara Ritchie, the host of the Workday Red Zone over in Jonesboro, Arkansas, on 95.3 The Ticket, talking some Sunbelt football. Kara, how you been? Hey, doing all right. How's everything in Acadiana? Everything's everything's going well. You know, we got obviously a lot of hype surrounding the Cajuns heading into a big 2021 season, and we'll get to that in a minute. But what was your thoughts on Sunbelt Media Day being on a Thursday while SEC Media Days is still going on? Because I thought that was like the most mind-boggling thing. Because at first, I, I my expectation was back in like I'd say May or so that we were going to wind up going to go cover SEC Media Days and then have to double back over to New Orleans. It's like, what's going on here? I mean that how they've always done it. Um, it. There's only two weeks that, that yeah. conferences have media day. Uh, it was either last week or this week. And that's the way that it's always been. There's always a tendency to overlap. Uh, the Sun Belt has always done. There's one day while the SEC drags it on for yeah. a full week. And 
if you're at a, a conference in college football, you don't you do what you need to do for the better of your teams to be able to be available for the better of your media to show up and represent. And you can't sit around and worry what other leagues are doing and, yeah. and base your schedule, make your schedule based upon what somebody else has done. It's just always been like in the past. I've seen it be more on just putting it on that Monday after. It just feels like that was the way to be. But of course, you know what? What do I know? I'm just a sports talk radio host in Lafayette, Louisiana, versus you know the commissioner Keith Gill, who just recently received a big extension. What was your reaction to seeing that? Um, I mean, fine, I guess. Um. I don't have a strong feeling on on Gil either way. Um, I, I am. I would like to continue to see the league grow, and I would like to see him continue to, to advocate a little bit more loudly for the Sun Belt. I would be interested in hearing more about the reasons for that. A lot of the heavy lifting in terms of strengthening this conference from a membership standpoint, a bowl standpoint, and a um, What's the other? Oh, a, a TV standpoint. A lot of that was done by his predecessor, um, Paul Benson. So I am kind of curious as to, uh, I guess, the big things that he has accomplished that he's checked off the list um, in his time at the helm of commissioner that that warranted um, this this extension. But uh, I'm not going to sit here and, and complain about it either. Um, his time at the helm of the Sun Belt has been intriguing due to COVID. Uh, so navigating that and seeing the Sun Belt do as well as they did last year to get all of those games played was was fantastic. But uh, I just I, I found the timing of it interesting. Yeah, I kind of did too, especially right before Sun Belt Media Days. Then you see them kind of throw out at their media day the announcement. You, you talk about the TV deal, their new deal with the Four Letter Network, trying to get I mean making sure they are secured and be able to have a lot more like wiggle room to where you don't have to have the only time you're going to be on quote-unquote prime time being on the main four-letter network or the deuce or the U or whatever you have more of an opportunity to do this on a saturday when college football like the eyes of on the world of sports are on college sure. football versus like a tuesday or wednesday night when everybody's usually doing something else yeah i think that was great and i think that a lot of that has to do with how the league fared last year you know um I don't know if there was a league in college football that took advantage of the exposure that the pandemic brought at times, as well as the Sun Belt did, because it seemed like every time that there was a Sun Belt game that got moved from ESPN Plus to uh, one of the linear networks, that we saw a Sun Belt team shine and, and put on a, a good effort and really take advantage of having more opportunities to have that spotlight. So I think the the four letter network, as you called it. I uh, saw people continue to tune into those games, saw how entertaining those games were, and they were like, all right, well, this is a good partnership, so let's go ahead and, and let's extend it and uh, let's have some more linear games. So linear games on a Saturday is, is yeah. a phenomenal opportunity for the, the league to continue to, to show its growth and, and show its potential. Especially if they kind of build all the success we saw last year. We talk about what they've done in terms of in-conference with everything going on with the Cajuns and Coastal Carolina, App State. Arkansas State as well over the last several years, but also what they've done in non-conference. I bring up Arkansas State. They've got notable Power 5 wins. The Cajuns got the, one of the most notable Power 5 wins in program history this past season against Iowa State, looking to do the same against Texas to open up the season. It just feels like things are moving in the right direction for this conference to where they're looked at as maybe being like second tier right behind 
the American Athletic Conference in terms of the pecking order of potential expansion because obviously one of the big stories nationally is about the Big 12 and Texas and Oklahoma moving over to the SEC. Sure. Well, we've seen for years the Sun Belts play better. And actually, in terms of um, looking at analytics and rankings and things like that, it has been a few years now that the Sun Belt has been able to show that it is a better league than Conference USA in the match. However, perception means a lot. So it was still perceived as probably the worst conference in college football by a lot of people on the outside looking in up until last season when it took so much advantage of, of course, as you mentioned, those Power 5 wins over the Big 12, but also, you know, you had some big, big uh, non-conference group of five wins, for example, Coastal over BYU and what was one of the most entertaining games of the entire college football season. So you had all of that happening and now you look at this year, and, and again, perception means so much. And with those big wins last year, the perception of the Sun Belt has changed and changed so much for the better. Talking now, Kara Ritchie, host of the Workday Red Zone on 95.3, the ticket. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of newness with the State of the Sun Belt Conference with new head coaches, namely Butch Jones over in your neck yeah. of the woods. You got South Alabama getting on Kane Womack, and Ewell Monroe kind of with a head-scratcher, kind of sort of with Tommy Bowden coming over from – it's like that name I'd heard in a long time that all of a sudden he just pops up, and now he's the, next, he's the head coach at ULM. But we'll stick, we'll stick with your neck of the woods, Arkansas State. And obviously over the last – like a few years ago, you saw coaches, it was almost like a carousel, and then we see Blake Anderson yeah. kind of hold serve, and now he's got an opportunity to go move forward with his career – now you bring in Butch Jones, a guy who's coming from SEC experience. What does that mean for the future of this program? Well, he doesn't just have SEC experience. Uh, he also had really, really good teams in the Group of Five, so he's had success at the Group of Five level. He was he was phenomenal at Central Michigan, then moved to Cincinnati, then moved to Tennessee, and and kind of the further removed you get from his time at Tennessee, the better it looks because nobody has had success there since he left. Uh, so. You've got a guy that came in, and, and the big experience thing that, that he kind of harps on lately is not his time at Tennessee, but his time working with Nick Saban at Alabama. And that's where he's been for the past couple of years is Saban's right-hand man. So there are so many different things that you've seen at Arkansas State that you know go back to his time at Alabama, whether it's just uh, the fact that the guys tuck in their T-shirts in the workroom to how much conversation there is about the process, the process, the process, to how they do things recruiting-wise. Uh, just to, to a different mentality around the program. It's not from, it, I'm sure, yes, part of it is, is from what Butch Jones did at Cincinnati and Central Michigan and, and, and Tennessee to be successful, but a lot of it, a lot of it stems back to his time working with Nick Saban. And we bring up Nick Saban. I think it's obviously something we go back to here because obviously Billy Napier, a disciple of him and Dabo sure. Swinney, it makes me wonder, like, how much does, it's like, you think about it, Saban, to a certain extent, has kind of become almost the coach rehabilitation. Like, he, these guys come from, like, broken jobs. Let's say, in the case of Butch Jones at Tennessee and the way they kind of ousted him. And he goes to Alabama, spends a couple years there as an offensive assistant, offensive analyst, and assistant to the head coach, and now he's got a, a job at Arkansas State. You can say the same thing about Sarkeesian over at Texas. It just feels like he takes these coaches, rebuilds them, and builds them in their image, in his image, and they go get bigger jobs and they wind up like performing at a high level. Yeah, 
I mean, that's exactly what he's done. You, I, I've kind of jokingly referred to it as Nick Saban's school for wayward coaches. <laughs> uh, but you just look at how many guys that have have gone and worked for him in the past few years, and the next thing you know, they're back on their feet. They're a head coach at a at a Division One institution, and then for the most part, a lot of them have gone off and had success. You know, his his assistants, guys that hadn't been fired that still ended up there with the program, have gone on and had success. And a guy like Kirby Smart. Um, so he's just been he is. He has been phenomenal at that, and uh, from everything I've heard from Butch Jones, from everything I've heard from the players, there's there's a level of um, there are high expectations going into the season at Arkansas State. Meanwhile, we look at South Alabama, a team that for the last I, I think ever since I've started working in media, I've just noticed it. It's been South Alabama has been the consistently inconsistent team. Where just every yes. year, it's like they have moments where, like a few years ago, Troy beats LSU. And then South Alabama beats Troy, and then South Alabama has every opportunity to just like take advantage of this, and then they fall apart against the Cajuns, and then they fire their head coach at the end of the year because they were absolutely underwhelming. And we've seen that. Like, what about Kane Womack is going to make this any different? Because it just it just feels like it could very well still be the same old, same old with the Jaguars over in Mobile. Well, I didn't have an opportunity to catch up with Coach Womack um, this week at uh, Sunbelt Media Day, so I can't really speak to his personality or uh, or much about what the players said there in, in New Orleans. But I will tell you that one of his staff members, one of his hires that he brought in is very, very intriguing to me, and that is his head strength and conditioning coach, Matt Shadid. Um, as, as anybody who follows college football heavily knows, um, players spend a massive, massive amount of time with those guys. In fact, in the summer, that's really who, they, who they're spending their time with since they only get somewhere in the neighborhood of, of two hours um, a week in, in team meetings and workouts and things like that. It is, it is so much time spent with the strength and conditioning crew. Shadid was at Arkansas State for the first three years of Blake Anderson's time here as, uh, in that same role, and it was just a dramatically different mentality from this team, a dramatically different physicality uh, from, from A-State when he was there at the helm. And then I think one of the reasons for some of the decline in, in wins over the past few years for Anderson at A-State is because they were cycling in a new strength and conditioning coach every single year uh, for the last four years of, of his time at A-State. So I, I kind of look at that as Womack's secret weapon, uh, potentially, because he just he, he sets a completely different mentality there in the weight room and, and with his expectations from, from those guys. So I uh, I know there will be an improvement there in terms of their physicality, if nothing else. How do you see the West shaping up, Kara? Because obviously we see the Cajuns, they've just held serve since they've split into the divisions, but I think we talked about it. You know, Arkansas State's going to be a team to look at and see how they can wind up like turning this division on their head. How do you see this going in the West? Sure. I, look, I still roll with the Cajuns as, a, as the favorite for obvious reasons. They return pretty much everybody except their running backs. Uh, a good team last year is going to be a good team this year. So as long as they can just find a, a new running back named Elijah, they'll be fine because those guys have ran all over the Sunbelt Conference in the past few years. Um, A-State, though, absolutely I have A-State as a dark horse. And not just for Homer reasons uh, because I follow this team, but, but because of what Butch has brought in. This team has almost... 60 newcomers on the roster. And while a lot of those are freshmen that probably won't see much uh, see much of the field, if at all, because they are just barely removed out of high school, a lot of these guys are high-level transfers that came into the program. Uh, for example, um, they're super fired up about Kevon Bennett, 
who is a guy that was at Tennessee, uh, Joe Azugu, who's going to be there um, doing work on the defensive end uh, from, from North Texas. There are transfers from Louisville. There are transfers from Boston College. Numerous Power 5 transfers on the defensive side of the ball. So they're going to be able to bring in guys that have had a lot more experience um, to be able to, to step into those roles. And as anybody who watched A-State knows last year, that was, that was the defense was bad, uh, especially the pass defense. So being able to bring in a lot of guys there that can step up and boost your defense right away is, is huge. Uh, when you look at the rest of the West, um, South Alabama is going to have some growing pains, obviously, under a new head coach. Texas State, I think, could be improved. They showed improvement last year. But they're also going heavily on the transfer route, so it depends a lot on how, how well Spavadol can get his, his guys to, to gel. And then ULM is just I, – I just – I hope they have better luck than they did last year. Uh, their coordinators both departing, like, right at the beginning of the season, and then their athlete dorms not being ready, and then there are multiple COVID issues, and then, and, and then a hurricane. Like, no team in the country had worse luck than ULM last year, so it, it – can't be worse, right? It, it really, I mean, it, it can't be much worse. Looking at the East Care real quick, is this Coastal Carolina's division to lose, or will we see App State kind of come back and really kind of be ready to roar? Man, I've been looking for reasons not to pick Coastal because how do you replicate that level of success that they had last year? But I just, I, I, I can't do it. Um, they returned just about everybody who was impactful last year with the exception of Taryn Jackson. Um, they're really, really, really good defensive end. And while I think his loss will hurt, Coastal has maybe the easiest non-conference schedule in the entire league. So because they get to open up with such a weak slate of competition, if they do have any issues, they should be able to have them worked out. Uh, they open against the Citadel. Um, so obviously a win there. They their power five opponent is Kansas at home, who they beat in Kansas last year. So that's a win. They play a Buffalo team that's going to have a first year head coach, and then UMass, who's not good to round out the slate in their conference opener, ULM. So they're going to be halfway through the season before they face a state, who's going to be their toughest competition um, at that point in time. That's that's mid October. So there's a really good chance that any issues they have will be worked out by the time they get to conference play and. Uh, I, I feel like they're going to roll again. Kara, appreciate you coming on as always. Talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Absolutely. You too. Thanks for having me. All right. That was Kara Ritchie. You can follow her on Twitter at Kara underscore Ritchie. If you want to hear about the world of the Sunbelt Conference, she's got you covered as well as maybe a little Red Wolves convo. We'll be back after this. Wrap up the show. One final take. And then we're out of here. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. All right, abridged one final take here, and it'll be more about Willie Green. I'll probably spend more time on him next week because I have more time because I've kind of gotten through a lot of my observations about the SEC and a lot of other things. So I'll just say this. He's got to kind of manage some of those lofty expectations because if he falls short of the mark, I'm almost certain David Griffin's gone and then he could very well be the next guy gone. He's got to handle those expectations, be able to manage them in a certain way. That's about all the time I've got. I'm out of time. Talk to you next week on Under the Dome with CD 9 to 11, as always, right here on 103.7 The Game. Peace! Hey, Clavis! Wake up! The show, no. Oh, yeah. Kick it.